Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are doing the 69th winner, The English Patient. The English Patient is a 1996 epic romantic war drama. It was written and directed by Anthony uh, Mangella. Did I say that right? I practicing the author's name of the book it was based on and not the director. So apologies if I got that wrong. Um, But it was based on a 1992 novel of the same name by Michael Ondashi. Um, And it stars Ray Fiennes, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, Willem Dafoe, Juliette Binoche, and Naveen Andrews. Um, And it is about this mysterious quote, English patient uh, during World War II who has suffered some very horrific burns, who is being cared for by this nurse at a remote monastery, and we're kind of like bouncing back and forth between their stories. Uh, The makeup department did not pull punches with the burns, and it was, oh. No. They they went all in, and we'll get more into it, but I I do have to give uh, fine props for acting through all that makeup, too. The film was shot on location in both Tunisia and Italy, so we get some very beautiful views. Um, It was edited by Walter Murch, who we would actually know from the Godfather movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. He also did Apocalypse Now, but we have not covered that. And yeah, that's one that I have also not seen. Kind of problem. I need to, but I, I really appreciated the editing in this particular one. I my thing with the editing, I, I it settled. It felt very choppy at the beginning. So actually, originally, Merch was not enthused about the project because um, he was like, "This is going to be very difficult to edit because you're bouncing around in time. You're kind of looking at things from different people's point of views." Um, but he eventually kind of like saw the the challenge and like the cool things that he could do with that structurally and so the final cut features over 40 temporal transitions i did find it choppy at the beginning there were a couple times where i was like no let me linger with like the character you've just introduced me to like a little bit longer but i think it settles and we start spending more and more time in our different stories and then that's when i it like really hit its stride and i really started to appreciate it and i'll say Honestly, after the first maybe 20 minutes, I I felt it was pretty seamless. And that was like a testament to the sound, to the editing, to the acting to some extent, and especially the like overall way that they pulled together the screenplay to make all of that seamless. So props to honestly, everybody involved to kind of pull that off. Because again, I didn't notice really these cuts at all. Like I said, at the beginning, it kind of was kind of like meh, but then it, I got out of Africa. That's how I'm <laughs> framing this, uh, because anyone who's listened to that episode, at the beginning when we started watching Out of Africa, I was like very meh on it. But then I found myself like midway through the movie at one point, like suddenly being incredibly invested. And by the end, I was crying, and like kind of the same thing happened here. Where at the beginning, I was like. I'm not so sure. And then we hit a point where I was in. And then by the end of it, I'm like sobbing into my wine glass. Yeah, I don't know what happened for me either, but definitely got out of Africa. Although I will say, I, I think that um, Amashi's 
I'll miss she. That character was a little one note the whole time, except at the end. But that's just like a. We'll get we'll get into anyway. it. we'll get into that because I think <laughs> I think there are some really cool like uh, character parallels they do. Uh, this was also the first film to receive the best editing Oscar for a digitally edited film. That's actually really cool. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. It's the um, first time that that that's much later than I would have expected. If I'm being completely honest, first one to win. First one to win the editing Oscar for a digitally edited film. So probably not the first one nominated. Mm, okay. Uh, it was nominated for quite a bit. It won for quite a bit. So uh, Mangella won for Best Director. Fines was nominated for Best Actor but did not win. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas was nominated for Best Actress but did not win. Juliette Binoche won for Best Supporting Actress. Um, Vangela was nominated for screenplay, but did not win uh, best adapted screenplay wins for best art direction, uh, wins for best cinematography, which was John seal, who we would know from rain man. Ah, that again, that was kind of peak to me. And especially the way that they very clearly delineated the current and past via the cinematography, let alone just the gorgeous shot composition in the desert that was giving me like a slight David Lean vibes at times. Lawrence of Arabia. Exactly. Yep. yep you got I it. Have a note that's like, <laughs> I have a note at one point that I'm like, so we're going full Lawrence of Arabia with this one. Yeah. Um, very David Lean, but not quite as lingering as a lot of David no, Lean. It wasn't painfully indulgent. It was Don't get me correctly wrong. indulgent. Ian and, I, <laughs> Ian and I both do like Lean, and we recognize like the artistry of David Lean films, but he does love to just linger. He likes a long film, and he likes to linger on a shot. Um, it wins for best costume design, like I said, one for best editing, wins for best score, and wins for best sound. I'm okay with every single one of those. I really am. And I I mean, the lack of leading wins, I think, does kind of speak at least on, and this kills me uh, to to put it this way, but like Ralph Fiennes, I I felt his performance was weaker than most of the rest of the cast. Now, with Kristen Scott Thomas for the role of Catherine, that one, I think, really was more... Francis McDormand beating her out for Fargo. So I actually have seen Fargo and I do appreciate that performance more. So I I think that was a deserved win for uh, McDormand. Um, But yeah, I, I maybe not so hot a take, but I was not a huge fan of Fiennes' performance in this. (laughs) It's, I was going to say for McDormand, her Fargo performance, it's a more memorable character Mm -hmm, too. Definitely. um, From uh, Catherine. Um, And then, Fines lost to Jeffrey Rush in Shine, and I have not seen Shine. Um, I didn't dislike his performance, I think, as much as you did. I think that there is, like, it is more contained. I think a lot of that is the character, though. And like I said, I was very impressed with his ability to act through, like, the burn makeup. Um, he did, I thought, did a lot with his eyes. Props for kind of, you could kind of see the difference between old Almashi and then hurt Almashi. And I felt I felt like given the way he played those two things that like the core character was the same, but I felt like I was seeing an Almashi that had learned a little bit of a lesson. 
I could see that. Like I felt, I felt there was a difference there. So I, I kind of want to give him more props. I do think it's a much more like subtle performance. I think it is very contained in a lot of ways. And then you have these like emotional outbursts, but I think part of that is also, I think, I think that choice is very character driven. So Mm. I'm willing to give it a little bit more credit than you are, I think. Mm. Yeah. And I can, I can definitely see your points. I think for me, it's really, we spent so much time with young Amashi and seeing it. uh, I don't know. His romance with Catherine felt very stilted. So I don't know. We should debate this a little bit further in the episode. Yeah, we really should. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I keep wanting to jump in. (laughs) No, it's okay. This is what happens when we record on weeknights. Um, But uh, so it was also on, it was number 56 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Passions list, which I understand. I know we've given that list a little bit of flack in the past, but I would like to highlight that it is 100 Passions, not 100 Healthy Romances. Oh, yeah. And I I am completely on board with the Passions piece because they absolutely, Catherine and Amashi have the like epitome of a passionate destructive relationship agreed but then you get the nice point we'll get into it we'll get into it um (laughs) it was also number 55 on afi's top 100 or no on sorry not afi's on bfi's top 100 british films of all time other things nominated that year so fargo we've already mentioned i know a lot of people get very like up in arms about how like fargo should have won i like fargo i think it's a great movie i'm very okay with the english patient winning i really really enjoyed it and I, I don't know. I, I think the English patient was able to do more and be more expansive and like have a more compelling and engaging story in some sense, which I may catch a lot of flack for that. But like, I it's enjoyed Fargo. Ambitious. Yes, I agree that with that completely. Yeah. And, and I guess in some ways that makes it a little bit more like Oscar foddery. Like you can make that argument. But I do think like they are trying to tell a more complicated story in the sense that you have like two parallel stories running. You're dealing with the flashbacks. Um, you know, you're dealing with characters that are, you know, not always likable, mm-hmm. um, which I know for you and I were like, Oh, unlikable means more interesting half the time. Yeah. And I mean, the two movies are so stylistically different that I can understand one absolutely being more up someone's alley than the other <laughs> so oh yeah i think i think as far as quality of movie i wouldn't say it's between quality of movie i would say it's between kind of like personal taste yeah i i, I agree jerry Maguire was also nominated secrets and lies and shine i don't really know those um i think jerry Maguire is the one the quote show me the money's from but i'm not sure <laughs> Yeah, I've also uh, not seen any of the others, so. But yeah, and then my very last bit of background information before we can jump into things like we're dying to do is that um, this movie plays a very central role on an episode of Seinfeld. Elaine hates the movie. Everyone around her and her boss love the movie. She lies a lot about the movie. (laughs) It's very funny. Okay, this is now the third sign in a week that I need to actually devote the time to watch Seinfeld. <laughs> so <laughs> just watch the English Patient episode. I remember that episode; it's pretty good. Um, but now we can move on to our actual watch notes. Ah, uh, finally, 
My number one watch note is starting with some big Lawrence of Arabia energy. Oh my God, right? With the plane and the sweeping, like dramatic head wrap thing coming off of the plane with the shadows over the dunes. It was it was a really cool effect. And I'm guessing based on how it looked is they had that plane over like a projection screen. And I thought that was so cool because it also kind of in my mind puts it in a very clear temporal place in history as opposed to trying to do something like bigger and uh, more, how shall we say, James Cameron-esque with the technology. I love how you said that, because the next film we have, I think, is Titanic. Hey. I... <laughs> I, I like the artistry of the opening. I have to say, I kind of, because this kind of goes back to like my note that I felt the beginning, we were kind of shifting too much in time. Um I kind of wish we hadn't started with that. I kind of wish we had started solely with Hannah and kind of then only met Almashi when she's introduced to him. And I I guess we don't really like meet him so much, but we see the plane accident happen and we do see Catherine in the plane and it is very unclear, like, is she dead? Is she alive? Is she sleeping? So I understand they're kind of giving you this like mystery of like, who is this guy? Who is the woman with him? But I kind of wish we'd like started a little bit slower and started with Hannah and then like kind of met Almashi after we'd already fully established her. Mm-hmm. I I could take it or leave it in terms of the like construction, but I, I yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> but speaking of Hannah's introduction, we we do cut fairly quickly to a train car where all of these British soldiers are convalescing. Is are they British soldiers or are they Canadian? I think it's a, I think or just my impression was that it was allied. kind of a mix because I think I think Hannah's Canadian. Yes, she is. Because yeah, because there's a reference to her boyfriend later being part of the Canadian army. So I think some of them are Canadian. I think a couple of people were speaking with kind of British sort of accents. Allied soldiers. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And she, you know, we get this like kind of cute interaction where she's like, would it mean a lot? Uh, well, a soldier asked for a kiss and she's like, would it mean a lot to you if I did that? And so she does. And it's, um, we're getting her like empathy. Like yeah. it's a really kind of, and, and, um, I, she's played with such playfulness mm-hmm. too, which I like, um, with a lot of playfulness and empathy, but still like, She's got a spine still. Stubborn. Yeah, she's not a pushover. Um, I I really like Hannah. I think she's a really, really good mm-hmm. character. Um, now I will and I th- oh, finish your thought. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and I think Juliette Binoche plays her really, really well. Completely agree. I'm I'm so glad that she won for this role because it's mm-hmm. it's great um i i will say with the character of hannah though the scene where the med camp gets bombed and her reaction to seeing or hearing about um i don't know if it was friend lover or whatever i think it's her fiance fiance okay i think it's her fiance i don't know that i minor minor gripe but it does ultimately play into her suspicion around the people that she loves dying it's it's a strong reaction in a crisis that I would not have expected from a like trained combat nurse. But that's fine. I, here's the thing, though. I feel like there's a lot. Ha- I'm willing to give it a pass because I think she starts 
calmer and then starts to get more panicked. And then also like that happens. And then like the hospitals getting shelled, like it's like a lot of stuff going on back to back, but um, it is a little out of keeping with her like more stoic persona, but you know what? I'm going to let it pass. I mean, but then she walks into a minefield to pick up a bracelet from her friend who was, uh, well, but she's blown so out, like she's zoned out of it. I think the connecting thing in both of those instances are that she is kind of just zoned out. Like she has been so taken with grief. And I think after you have the fiance die, which like clearly heavily impacts her. Then when she watches the friend die because, um, her Jeep hit a mine, it's, I think that's the point where you have Hannah being like, am I, am I fucking cursed? Like everyone I love dies in these just like horrible ways. Like what is happening? Yeah. I, mm. I, I'm okay. I liked the minefield reaction better. That one felt a little bit more natural. I'd agree with that one for sure. I'll give a pass on the tent. I, I'll reluctantly, again, this was before I was out of Africa, so I was highly critical. <laughs> this is true. I love that that's a verb for us now, but it's um, so accurate. I like, I want to go back and listen to that episode now. Cause I bet the same thing. I bet we're like crazy nitpicky in the beginning. And then we get yeah. to this where we're just, I love how they did this. I love how they did that. But whereas I like her character introduction, I had some qualms with Amashi's uh, uh, one. I really enjoyed and so like here's why i think you had qualms with it is because we jump we were like jumping around too much yeah i think had that been like a single thread this is the bit where i had the notes where i was like i want to linger with hannah more Mm -hmm. because i was like she's the one who's going to be getting us through this like she's going to be like our grounding character in like this crazy story um so i wanted to spend more time with her we do get to so thank goodness but it's yeah yeah, that's actually, I, I agree with that. Because this whole time we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between Amashi's and introduction and Hannah's. And with Amashi's, it's been like very, very starkly different in terms of seeing, you know, a badly burned human being taken care of by some Bedouin tribesmen. Yeah. Um, and I could have done without all of that. And I know yeah. what they're trying to do. And like I said, I think it's it's largely done to like help build kind of like the mystery of like, who is this? But I think we could do that if, like, we spend more time with Hannah. We really get to know her and empathize with her um, early on. And then we have her introduced to this character. So, like, I think we still get the kind of mysterious component to it. And we get that introduction fully having, like, spent all this time with Hannah watching her go through shit. Yeah. So, I don't know. That would have been my preference. But. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. Ultimately, I mean, we got some really pretty sh- Lawrence of Arabia shots, as it were, on like Camelback and things. <laughs> Just story-wise, that's how I would have tightened it up. But where they kind of come together to start is a hospital in Spain where Hannah is caring for the now healed but dying Almashi. Because, uh, and again, this is where we first see the intense scarring makeup that they have applied to to finds and it's a lot and the way that he's changed his physicality to really emphasize that i think is subtle enough that subtle enough that it's not like you don't question it It but there enough that you see exactly sorry that's a much better way to put it (laughs) natural um yeah 
Which, like, honestly, I, I feel like I've never seen Fines not be good in something. So, like, I feel like it's par for the course with what I'd expect from him. Yeah. So up until this point, we aren't actually shown, like, we don't actually know who this burn patient is. We don't know who he is. We don't even have a name yet. No. And that is, like, th- they do some really fun things with his introduction with cuts between a notebook and kind of, like, this interrogator trying to figure out who he is and this bit about being Germans, like the thing where he's like, yeah, I, I might've been married, but I know that's a condition of a lot of Germans too. Like there was some like fun repartee in there, like some wit that you see behind uh, that particular character, which is fun to well, watch. I think, I think what he's doing is like, well, and there are certain aspects of Almashi's character where I'm like, you, this is the moment you want to be a smart ass. Like that's not going to help you at all. We'll talk about, there's a very crucial moment at the end of the film where I'm like, he fucked everything up. All of it. Whole time. Yeah. But it mm. was but it was so in keeping of his character to do it at that moment too. So like it works. It's just the audacity. The audacity. But really, the audacity. <laughs> but I think like what he's highlighting at, at that point is that he's like, what does it matter? Like what's like I'm dying. Yeah, what are they gonna do to him? That yeah, is like, not I'm gonna just, happen. I'm just a human being and I'm dying. And I've already been through a horrific experience like yeah i think like in that moment it's like highlighting a bit of um like ridiculousness of war but also when as we like get to know him more later i'm also like can you just not for like a second every now and then can you just like answer a goddamn question (laughs) (laughs) right but ultimately like they are moving him it's painful for him understandably and so they come to find themselves at i believe a monastery in the italian countryside um i was a little unclear if it was a monastery or like an old house i think you're right i think it was a monastery but basically hannah's argument is like he's he's dying he's going to die moving him is painful we're in the business of helping, not hurting. Um, so she's also like, again, as we said, like suffered the loss of her friend. Um, so she's not doing well. She's under this whole, like everyone I love dies. So like, get me away from everybody kind of frames of mind. So she offers to stay with Almashi in the monastery and is like, I'll catch back up with all of you. Like when I can. Yeah. But this evolves into, you know, her, I love the bit of her making, like, fixing the stairs with books. So well-intentioned, but, like... (laughs) But we're seeing, like, Hannah's determination and resourcefulness and stuff like that, which I I really like. I also have a note at this point in my notes, and I don't remember what it refers to, because peek behind the curtain, Ian watched this movie today. I watched it a week ago. So correct me when I say wrong things inevitably (laughs) but I just have a note that says there's gonna be a scandal and scandals in all caps but I don't remember why um was this when they uh, to like jump a little bit ahead we moved back to past Ralph Fiennes and they introduce uh it must be the meeting with Catherine mm -hmm. and Almashi it has to be Colin because otherwise yeah (laughs) I don't know why else I would have scandal in all caps because that was a scandal spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) should we go ahead and jump to the before times or is there anybody else you want to introduce at this point because through the throughout the movie throughout 
basically the entire rest of the movie, we will be jumping back and forth between these two storylines, but I think we're going to try and break them down separately and then kind of join them back together at the end. So we open up on past Amashi, still don't know who he is, at some like archaeological dig site in a in unnamed area of the Saharan Desert. <laughs> um, and it's very, very quickly we get the cast of characters together that are going to be part of this like British geological society. Is that what it was? Or yeah, I think it's that. It's a it's a fancy name for. I guess they're like a combination archaeologist slash anthropologist and cartographers at to boot like cartographers because I I think Amish is a cartographer but it's like yeah it's it's a it's a British organization though yeah even though Amish is Hungarian the Royal Geographical Society okay cool yes it's that um but his friend Peter Maddox is there and then a very well-to-do British couple, uh, Jeffrey and Catherine Clifton join. And there is Played some... Played by Kristen Scott Thomas and Colin Firth. Yeah, I was like, oh, look, young Colin I Firth. I was like, we got Colin Firth. He has zero wrinkles, fine lines. <laughs> I love him. You know, classic. He's so good in things. A single yeah. man. What a girl wants. Oh, my goodness. Amanda Bynes, classic. I actually classic. really... I w- I'm about to pick up and read that book again. <laughs> Which one? A single man, not what a girl wants. Oh, I was um, like, what a girl wants is it a book? <laughs> I digress. But there's some really fun repartee there between the stoic and stony, honestly, Amashi. He's an asshole. And, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, and then Catherine on that talking about like love and things, and I, I, I and Catherine's, like Catherine's a lot more charming. Oh, so much sure. more charming. She's the personality hire of that couple. <laughs> For sure. But the thing, and it kind of starts here and carries through a good portion of the movie. Again, I I don't think the movie suffers for it, but I do think it could be better. Something it is about Ralph Fiennes' performance here where he's got this like dead eye look about him. And I wish that we had been able to see something going on behind. Okay, so here's how I interpreted this. And it all kind of boils down to the scene where they're swapping like talents basically because they're in the middle of the desert. It's very early around on. the campfire. And there's like yeah, around the campfire. So you have like somebody doing a dance, somebody singing a song. Alma she isn't really doing anything. Like we've we've already kind of seen him be like a little bit apart from everyone. Um it's a little bit of an aloofness. I think it's also just what I got from Fines' performance is it's just this like sense of not belonging and just like clearly is not a people person. Um, I like has this like very like contained kind of like intensity about him. And then for like her contribution to the evening's entertainment, Catherine gets up and tells a story and it's this like legend about uh, this beautiful woman who it's like the queen and this like God that like falls in love with her. And it ends up being like a um, the the result is like she's she's basically says, like, if you want me, kill the king, become the king. And the God does. And they like live happily ever after. So one, we're like foreshadowing the whole love triangle that we're going to get in this part of the the film. But the way one, the way uh, Thomas tells the story, she's great. 
it's this like wonderful performance as she tells it of like a very well-told story, but also this like little bit of awkwardness, but also this charm. So she does a great job there. But there's so clearly in that moment, like this almost you like you can't describe it, but there's some sort of like magnetism between Alma She and Catherine. And it's in that moment. And that's where I think finds his performance. It is just like this quiet intensity. Like he's clearly an intense, obsessive guy. And for me, that's that scene like kind of encompasses a lot of the social dynamics we're going to watch in the storyline for the rest of the film. I completely agree on that last point. I have some thoughts about the... <laughs> The like loner attitude thing. I this is probably me oh, projecting. I say, say it was a good thing. Uh, well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It made him likable. <laughs> He's still an asshole, but I think that's the character. But I also, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have any sort of retort for that's the character. Now the magnetism thing, though, I think that was primarily created through the cinematography, especially with the shifting fo- focus. Um, and that I wanted to see it through the performances. I saw it. I got it with the performances too. I just, I think I, I like finds his performance more than you do. I think I'm also willing to be like, yeah, the character sucks, but that's the character. And I think you maybe, and you can, you can totally say no and defend it. But I think loners still have thoughts in their head. (laughs) Yeah, but I could see them. I couldn't. In his eyes. At all. His eyes were dead. I could. (laughs) I'm sorry, you couldn't look into Ray Fiennes' soul the way apparently I could. It's fine. I was looking into his eyes for sure. Um, Let's just say young Ralph Fiennes is fine. (laughs) I saw emotion and thought. I did not. Also, I'm screaming. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I just looked at my levels. It, it'll be okay. We'll we'll deal with I'm it. But yeah, it's screaming. I I don't know. It. I was just not the biggest fan of that. Now I love how that's fine. We can have differing opinions on this. Yeah, and I saw how they were setting them up the whole time. But <laughs> I just think I just think it's the character. Like for me, all of his reactions were very in keeping with the character. I do. I for sure think the character is an asshole. Oh, yeah, absolutely agree on that point. Um, but, like, we follow on of, to that scene with a, a scene in a market, presumably in Cairo, I'm pretty sure, where he essentially confronts Catherine about this rug that she has bought. And the... Dude, mind your own fucking business. Okay, this part... Who fucking cares? I did love how they acted here. <laughs> when they parallel it yeah. later to kind of show some character growth, but yeah. Oh, for sure. But that's where, like, you do see the chemistry between the two a- actors here. And I, yeah, much preferred this sort of thing. Chastising her for not bartering for the rug. And I love her just being like, I feel like bartering. Well, and like her line about getting like, it's worth seven pounds to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I loved that. And it's like, how do you even respond to that? It's almost unassailable. Yeah. I, I, it, it is such a juxtaposition between their two characters. It's, it's, I think this is so good on both of their parts because their characters feel like opposites. Mm-hmm. But there is still an undeniable chemistry there that you're like watching happen. Yeah. 
And I mean, that rolls into the having drinks at the hotel later that evening where, of course, they forgot that there's a woman with them who cannot go into the men's only like smoking lounge. I do love that they all are like, oh, but of course we'll join Catherine. <laughs> yeah, that was like a really sweet like reaction, but I'm also like, y'all. <laughs> I, I know. Um, I will say too, kind of through this bit, I was very prepared to not like Colin first character. I was mm-hmm. kind of expecting the husband to be a bit of an asshole so that we would like root for this romance. He's fine. He makes a bad, 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 bad decision later. But oh, yeah. In, but at this part of the film, like he's perfectly fine. And so it it's was really interesting to me, like the way they set up what is clearly like moving in the direction of romance between Alma, she and Catherine as something that like as an audience, I'm not thrilled about it. I'm kind of like looking at it just being like, this is not going to go anywhere good. Yeah. And I mean, it, it amps up the like p- feelings of pity for uh jeffrey later in the film i I also forgot his first name don't worry (laughs) i I can i magic of editing i didn't forget Um, (laughs) (laughs) but like even his like cute little comments about how she loves water and is in the pool well it's in love with the plumbing i think is how he put it and talking about a bath versus the pool and oh no actually she's outside um well and there's there's some other bit too um where I think I think it's when Jeffrey has to leave. Oh, this is um, a little bit later when he has to leave. Um, and Alma, she's like when they're back out in the at the dig site. Um, and this is when when I think they've found the like cave of swimmers, which is like this really cool, like archaeological find with like these beautiful cave paintings and stuff like that. Uh, it will become an important set piece later. But when Jeffrey leaves and almost she's like, well, shouldn't you take Catherine with you? Like you can't leave a woman out in the desert. And Jeffrey's like, she loves the desert and she's fine. So like, she's an adult, like treat her yeah, like it. <laughs> yeah. And you're kind of like, Oh God damn it. Like Catherine really. <laughs> well, and her response is why are you people so threatened by a woman? And that was such a perfect thing, but also, okay, I will, See, this is around the time in the movie where I started to get out of Africa and I actually liked Ralph Fiennes' performance a lot more because you can see this like little tittering fear in the back of his head about what will happen if she stays. Well, it's because he's he's like is already falling for her and he like absolutely knows where this is headed and is fighting it to the nail. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's, it is so interesting. Yeah. Cause you're kind of like on paper, Catherine Jeffrey is so much better, but you also can't deny the chemistry mm-hmm. between Alma, she and Catherine. And as we establish in the next little sequence we'll cover, they're very much like creative and intellectual equals. Yeah. And so you understand what she, what it seems she's not getting from Jeffrey that she's looking for an Alma sheep, but you're still like, <laughs> This is so messy and it's not going to end well. Well, and it's that trope about choosing between kind and safe and secure versus the thrilling, in this case, intellectual equal that's going to be your undoing. Like that is a a, a construct that I've actually enjoy watching, but also don't because it's like watching a slow motion car crash. But... (laughs) (laughs) Or in this movie, Plane Crash. So anyway, 
to jump back to the future now with some of kind of Ooh, what wait no no i want to i want to talk about the scene um with the sandstorm that is after they find the cave so do we want to go all the way through the cave in the sandstorm or do we want to go I, back yeah. first oh okay yeah yeah well we already talked about them finding the cave so they continue down this expedition i love again their interaction and chemistry in the car as they're talking and Yes, because the sandstorm has rolled in. Nope, this is before they found uh, the cave. <laughs> wait, this is before the cave? Okay. Oh, gosh, yeah. there's so many car conversations. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is where the thing about him always singing comes out. Um, but there's some really fun, like, he's like, why are you talking? My last guy didn't talk for nine hours. <laughs> She's like, you always sing. Yeah, and I mean, there's it's shot in this, like, really claustrophobic Ford, I presume, model something. It, really well, I might add. And they have this fun comedic moment with his uh, guide on the top where it's like he asks in Arabic, like, do I sing? And the dude laughs at him. <laughs> but again, bringing back, uh, taking him down a peg in that sense that, like, of course, this is a person that thinks he knows his own mind and himself. And do you, do you really? So and it's it's like it's a very it's an endearing quirk. And um you know, we'll talk about it later, but it's something that kind of we see the songs and Almashi like singing and stuff kind of used to weave the past and present together um, in a really nice way. Totally agree. So they find the cave. It is a, a beautiful scene. I don't really have much more to say about it than that. I I did appreciate the tie in from kind of the opening credits um, with the, the cave paintings because the opening credits were essentially somebody Yeah, you're not painting. really sure what they are. Um, but then you realize like, oh, it was the paintings from the cave. Um, it was Catherine reproducing them. Mm-hmm. And you could like make some big extrapolations to talking about like legacy and how you're... At, anyway, I, I'm, no, no, I don't, no, I don't feel like that. doing There's that. There's so much more um, to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> um. So on their way back, uh, they do some dumb shit and fall down as a dune. Um, like, yeah, one of the why of the did you Jeep's do this? Crashes. No, no, no. It the jeep does not crash. Someone crashes the jeep. <laughs> <laughs> the jeep does not have agency. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You know what? When you're right, you're right. Um, uh, so they're basically trying to figure out who's going to go get help. We resolve that some people stay behind, but the two people we, you know, really care about staying behind, Catherine and all machine. And they do. We're we're in a stranded together romance trope for the next little bit. Mm-hmm. And they really do kind of, as you, you mentioned on kind of the intellectual equals, they still are. I think you also said this, so I'm just going to reiterate it. Like they're opposite, but the magnitudes of their like intellect and reflection in some ways match. And I think they do that through the photo versus art thing with her cave paintings, which it it cracks me up how she's trying to give him paintings as like a really sweet gesture. And he's yeah, just like, she's no, trying we have photos. so hard. Well, it's so <laughs> funny because we're seeing her like I, I get where both of them are coming from so clearly where you have her being like who is this asshole who I have to work with, but like is clearly an intelligent person. And she's like trying to build a bridge and trying to make a connection. And he is like so disturbed by his own attraction to her that he's like, no bridges. 
destroy all bridges, <laughs> burn them. And so it's like you're watching two people like do that and just so not be on the same wavelength. And I think they both handle it really well. It's like kind of funny, um, but then also makes for this like really cool moment when we see that connection actually start to be made. Mm -hmm. And that connection happens in a car under a dune in a sandstorm that has taken over their, overtaken their camp, I guess. Yeah. Like a sandstorm, a massive sandstorm rolls in. Um, One of my favorite lines is nearing this part and it comes back and we all know how much I love parallelism in storytelling, but it's when he's helped uh, most of the party into one car and he's going back to the car that she's in to shelter and he gets in the car and she's like, are we going to be okay? And he goes, yes, yes, absolutely. And she says, yes is a comfort, absolutely is not. She reads him so well. It's like, okay, come on. I know you're bullshitting with that absolutely. Just cut and it. It's such a it's such a great illustration of like a thing that I think people like know that like naturally we as people know that we're like you confer like confirming is good, but the minute you start like overly, you're like, oh yeah, no, for sure. You're like, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that, and they use it later too um, when they're talking about I think the affair, right? Yeah, and if somebody knows. Oof. But they got dusty really fast in that car and real cozy, really, like really fast. Well, Ian, what else were they going to do in for the storm to blow over? I mean, I don't know. Not cuddle on the front bench seat of a Ford automobile from the 30s. At- ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Um, there is like a nice little bit, though, where you see the hesitancy before he like touches her mm-hmm. hair and starts to play with her hair. Um, it, that's like almost like the last moment that like nothing could have happened. Yeah. Well, and you kind of see her in some not so metaphorical sense the next day doing the same thing when she goes to paste the pictures in his book after he's like, I would like to have them. And the shot... That's how we know it's changed. Exactly. Everything has changed. And the shot of that honking wedding ring as she is like paging through his his book and pasting it in and then snooping to kind of see more about his past, like very clear signals that she is also on board. His his copy of Herodotus's history. I was like, could you, sir, could you have a more boring book as your comfort book? I mean, if it puts you to sleep, it's useful, right? Oh, my God. I mean, it's so in character, but I was like, honestly, that tells me all I need to know about this person. Um, I won't judge a book by its cover, but I'll judge the person who's holding it. Um, But I do. There is that moment where they're like, our tracks have disappeared. And it really does feel like we could die here. And that's when he's like, yeah, you know, actually, I would really love that painting. Mm -hmm. And they're trauma bonded. It does lead her to spill her guts about why they're actually in Africa, which I'm kind of like, you were poorly vetted to be a spy if this is all it took for you to tell She's going to die, Ian. She has to tell the man she might love that her husband is in fact a spy. But I do love the way he asks this question in the like red light of the flare at night. Is the marriage a fiction? And if the marriage is not. At least for now. 
<laughs> I mean, the marriage is never a fiction, but uh, but it's complicated. It's a very complicated fiction or nonfiction. Yeah. So they do ultimately get rescued, but that's that's fine. I think we should pause here and go to the the future. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So so this is kind of where like we're starting to see the beginnings of a relationship. We will now pause and we will jump back and discuss Hannah for a bit. So we're back to Hannah in the quote unquote present, uh, still 1940s. She has settled into the monastery and we are introduced to a couple more characters that are going to play a bit of a role in Hannah and uh, Olmashi's life. So first off, we have Caravaggio. Mr. Moose. Played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, definitely sounds like a made-up name. Also, Will- Willem Dafoe is ageless. Yes. Like in a weird way. But and I also I just immediately didn't trust him. And I was like, I don't know why I just immediately never trust Willem Dafoe. Probably because he often plays villains and is very good. But I just, I was like, this is unfair of me to immediately be like, I don't like this. And this is mean of me, but like, he's got that villain look about him. <laughs> it's just something about his facial structure that's like really pointy. And when well, I do think he's playing the character, see, in my mind, I think it's because I associated him as a child with the Green Goblin in the Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that definitely has colored my view of him. But it, it also, I mean. I think he's also playing the character a specific way where you were like, this character is too friendly, definitely hiding something. Yeah, but I do, the the bit of writing about how they kind of build trust with him by him offering up facts about Hannah that there's no way he would know if he hadn't talked to her friends like well and I I fully believe he talked to her friends like I I believe him being like yeah I talked to your friends like here the fact and I I do like that where it's like the I'll give you like information he's like it actually turns out we grew up not far from each other so like they're building the trust there I just you're just like but why is he here you're like he's here for another reason you just don't know what it is um initially although there is kind of the weird moment where he's like his, he holds up his hands. He's missing his thumbs, and he's like, "I." He's convinced that the this mysterious English patient is Almashi, and he's got a vendetta against Almashi. He doesn't tell us why. At one point, he just holds up his hands to Hannah and is like, "He did this to me." That moment, I was like, "This is happening too soon." That was a weird moment, and it felt out of sync with the movie at the time. Are Are you sure you're not remembering that out of order? I'm sure because I wrote down at the time when it happens, I was like, oh, was this when she was like washing her hair in the basin? And okay, yeah, I agree. But also, I was not so thrown off by that. And the only reason is because he's very quickly introduced as a morphine addict who at times is out of his mind. But I still, mm, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I also just wasn't fully sold on the character as a whole. I was more sold on the end. Especially when the character was first introduced, I was like, I don't, we don't need this character. I honestly don't think that we. I think we still could have gotten around it. Yeah. Yeah. But I was more on board later, but especially initially, I was kind of like, I'm not into Caravaggio. Yeah, I could agree. I mean, honestly, I, yeah, uh, 
I don't have a good I mean, answer he's for there, that. He's there for a specific reveal later that we'll talk about. But like, I'm like, again, I'm like, I think he could have done it a different way. I, I'm just not 100% sold. I think Willem Dafoe is fine with what, like, I think he's fine in the movie. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It just, mm. anyway. I, the the char- That character, for some reason, at certain points, kind of took me out of the movie mm-hmm. a little bit. We got away from the part that I really enjoyed and really want to talk about, which is Hannah and Kit. Yes. So this Hannah, of course, is looking for things to do, starts playing a piano. And Kip, okay, I didn't like how he just appeared out of nowhere, like deus ex machina style. No, but here's the thing. Because initially I had the same thought, but actually we see him the first time when Hannah, when the Jeep hits the mine and Hannah walks towards that bracelet Kip is the one who's originally looking for the mine. So we have established that there is, I don't know what kind of unit this would be, but we have established that there is whatever, like the bomb squad is. In the, the bomb area. squad. Yeah. But also like, what is he doing here? Not with the rest of the battalion. Well, and he's saving Hannah because this entire place could be wired with bombs, including that piano and he checks the piano and it was wired with a bomb. And I kind of like that Hannah's response here is to just start laughing because one, it's ludicrous. Somebody wired a piano with a bomb. It is absurd. That's ridiculous. And also it's just like on top of everything that like she's gone through, like fucking of course. And the, the, the fact that the person would come and save her because they heard her playing the piano, the situation's ridiculous. Well, and then she talks about how her mother was like, I always knew, my mom always said I'd summon a husband with the piano. Oh, and oh, she yeah. makes she this says some... to all machine. <laughs> yeah. Like some joke about like, um, I guess I guess I'm going to marry him. And he's like, so soon? And she's like, well, my, mo- my mother always said I'd like summon my husband playing the piano. Yeah. Um, and she has this killer music joke about how it won't explode if you play Bach. <laughs> that cracked me up enter this segment where uh almost she kind of starts to play matchmaker a little bit and is like kind of having fun with like trying to encourage hannah and kip which i think is like um really funny and cute and it does kind of give you this like it's honestly like a light side of almost that we have not seen in any other setting. Yeah, like the scene specifically with the condensed milk, I I love. So you have Naveen Andrews playing Kip, talking, like arguing with Amashi. Also, Ian and I, Ian and I both are like, we both have massive crushes on Naveen Andrews. Uh, Yeah, I first saw him in Lost and was like, wait, is, wait, what? (laughs) That man did not age between like the mid 90s and the late 2000s. I don't know how. Um, Anyway, they're arguing about something or other. I not important. What is important is they have a common love of condensed milk. And that just <laughs> you get you see like a little bit of laugh on Amishi's face. And it's like, okay, you get a little bit of the glimpses of past Amishi, and it's I it's nice. Well, but even this Amishi though is like more charming and like uh, like more playful almost than past Amishi, and it's I I almost feel that like because of all the stuff that happens with Catherine that we see later, like he he almost like learns of a better appreciation for people. Like it, it feels like he learned something from Catherine, um, in his in his interactions with uh Kip and Hannah. Yeah, I'd agree. So I think that's kind of the major arc in that particular piece. I 
I do. Do you, do we want to like wrap up that piece, jump back to Catherine and Almishy? So to leave them for a little bit in hopefully less of a jarring cut than the first part of we this are movie. Jump- I was going to say, we are <laughs> jumping around a little bit, but we plan on transitioning between time periods less than 40 times. So <laughs> we're, we're at about two right now. So hopefully we're going to be under 10. Anyway, <laughs> um, as we mentioned previously, Catherine and Amashi are rescued. We're back in Cairo. They're back at the hotel and... Like Ralph, Ralph Fiennes is not going in. Like even though he's invited in by Catherine, yeah. And I kind of love that he's trying to put that distance there. He's trying to build that bridge back. You mean no? He's trying to burn it it down. Sorry, like, (laughs) sorry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me fix my bridge metaphors. There's so many bridges. Let me fix my bridge metaphors. He is trying to burn the bridge down. Yes. There we go. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll burn more bridges when we get to them. Um, so My favorite phrase, and I don't know where I heard this, but I picked it. I've started saying it. Um, and instead of, uh, it's a, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. It's it's one of my favorite malapropisms. It's so like, good. It's, I can't remember where I first heard it. It's amazing. So interspersed again with some current day stuff, but we cut to a scene the affair starts and it's like it is like it's like painful for both of them almost like you can see the conflict and just like both of them just breaking down basically i literally have in my notes what in the world is going on cuz it is like this it definitely bridges in between that like anger and a l- little bit of violence she smacks the shit out of him he tears her clothes off. Like it's there's some passion there that it is a mix of emotions that aren't just love. Yeah, no, like their entire their entire affair. I it's it's like the physical part of their entire affair is not not always like violent, but like it's not tender. It's pretty rough. Like it's like you can tell that it's like neither of them wants it, but also neither of them can bring themselves to stop this affair where we see any like true like tenderness in them is always in the intellectual exchange and we almost immediately get it when they cut to the kind of like you know post-coital glow as it were when he's taking a bath yeah and they have the scene where they're like sitting in the bath together and everything's very sweet until he's asking her he asks her like what she what she hates i think first she a lists lie. a couple of things and he says, oh, a lie. Mm. Yeah, that's a loaded mm. answer. Um, and then he asks what she loves and she lists a couple of things and then she does list her husband. Mm-hmm. Which I think is fair. Right. Like from what we've been understanding of Jeffrey and Catherine is like they've known each other since they were toddlers. Like, like, I, like I think there's undoubtedly like a love there that she has for him. Clearly, I think the love Jeffrey has for Catherine is different from the love Catherine has for Jeffrey. Yeah, definitely um, is. But like, she definitely cares about him. Um, but yeah. And so then that immediately distance back between them. Yeah. Well, and the ownership discussion about how he doesn't like ownership. 
bullshit. He doesn't like it when he thinks somebody else has ownership over him, but he is perfectly happy to call Catherine his later. He calls her my wife at one point, which once again, we'll talk about why that mm -hmm. was a mistake and was bad decision, but super in keeping with his character later. Um, when he wants to name, it's like, what is it, like the hollow? The super sternal something. something. There's yeah. like the name, it's like the hollow <laughs> at the base of your neck and he like wants to like, he's like, I'll call it like all mushies hollow or something and it wasn't it wasn't quite so on the nose but <laughs> psycho i was i was like Ugh. yeah and i don't know but yeah but again we're establishing you know very conflicting parts of oh, this yeah. character oh yeah and then interspersed with a quick scene of the christmas cracker wrapper we're in the present we are immediately pulled back in to when he wrote that note about betrayals during wartime at this fundraise, uh, dinner, Christmas, celeb, something. Uh, Which, like, can we talk about the fact that we find out that Jeffrey's playing Santa Claus in this? <laughs> Meanwhile, Catherine and Alma, she are banging in the supply closet. And you're just like, oh, my God, poor Jeffrey. That was, like, so darkly comical. So, well, it even, even the lead up to that, where like you can see of him being like, pretend to faint, mm -hmm. like just come away. And she's like, I don't want to like fall and I'm working. And he's like, someone will catch you. Well, I thought he said I would catch you. And then he wasn't there to catch no. her. <laughs> no, he, he didn't say I'll catch you. He said, oh, I'll catch you. Like, okay. Someone will catch you. Cause like she needed to faint. So then she could go sit down and rest slash bang in the supply closet, have sex in the closet. Um, yeah. Oh, but the way that they shot that inner exchange through the like great window is so good, yeah. like so good. And we're seeing a little bit of playfulness between them. And then immediately it wrenches our hearts out because we're like, Oh, poor Jeffrey. He's Santa yeah. Claus. She's cheating on Santa. But like, I'll also say that is one of the sexiest sex scenes I've seen. It was hot. Like, between like where they did the close-ups the like how they had the actors pause and touch and like it i don't know but also in but like also such you a never lost care you also never lost character for yeah him, it just and then they also built tension with like the way you could you were i was like they're not hidden enough i was like oh yeah they were behind them. the frosted glass behind the bagpipe player playing silent yeah, night like the way <laughs> like the way they show it like the i don't know like the editing and the cinematography there like they they kept a lot of tension in that scene in that sequence um and i mean they yeah. kept it up because you that when we have the reveal of Jeffrey and the Santa Claus thing, it's mm -hmm. Mr. Almashi leaving and then Jeffrey finding his wife on the divan. Like, and he checks on her and he's like, what is it? Like your, your hair smells like cornstarch or something like her marzipan. Yeah. And the little glimmer of recognition in his eyes at the end, just cut so deeply. Oh, I felt so bad for him in that moment. <sighs> I know. I did too. And it, it's just hammered home by the scene in the map office where Jeffrey talks about how long they've been together and how he finally is had it, her settle which for his. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I know that I was like, I was like, Oh, Jeffrey. <laughs> it just, it, it, things would be better. if Catherine and Jeffrey just got divorced. Like, I just think life would be better for both of them. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think he can exist without her 
I would appear so later. Yeah. Also, I mean, we were talking at a time when like divorce is much less accepted. And they are what counts or lords or I think they're lords of some kind. They're wealthy, if not noble. Yeah. So no divorcing anyway, (laughs) (laughs) or at least very little, Um, but, but yeah, you have him talking about the anniversary and which anniversary it is. And he says something about like, oh yeah, Catherine wouldn't remember it. And we're just like, oh, Jeffrey. (laughs) Well, and he tries to surprise her and sees her get into a random car. Yeah. Because he calls her and tells her he has to like, he, or he had told her that he was going to have to go away and she's like, oh yeah, I'll just like stay at home and probably do nothing then. Which, like, Catherine, that's a terrible lie. Just be like, oh, no, I'll miss you. Don't commit to plans or no plans. Or commit to doing plans that aren't cheating. That's the true answer for her situation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm staying with the Duchess of York in Cairo. (laughs) No, because then you can check on that. I'm sorry. I'm staying... (laughs) I don't know who. Just be like, <laughs> oh, no, I just, I don't know, might go out later. I don't. Yeah, in, in Cairo as a, a blonde British woman in the 30s. Um. Right, but then it's not suspicious <laughs> if she gets in a car because she did say she might be going out later. Or is it later. more suspicious because it's a random car that's going to kidnap her? But it's probably a taxi taking her because she said she might go out later. So this is her going out later. Or, you know, just like don't. And of course she's going <laughs> she out. on Jeffrey with Alma Well, hey, you know, sometimes you have to make the bed you lay. All I'm lie saying the is that I'm just saying that people made mistakes here. Some some bigger than others. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> some, some much bigger than others. So she is at Amashi's place. They have more of this like sweet interaction and the introduction of the Hungarian folk tune talking about, oh shit, what, what was it talking about? It was sweet. And now I can't remember. I don't think I wrote down specifically what they were talking about there. I just have a lot of notes that are like, you're going to get caught. (laughs) I have, they're going to get caught. Y'all are not sneaky enough. This can only end poorly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you're right. <laughs> it can only end poorly. Um, I am so embarrassed to say I cannot remember for the life of me what the folk song was about, but it was really sweet and had something to do with them like loving each other. So I'll oh, leave it at is that. Is this the part where he starts to tell her what the folk song means, but it's clearly he's just making up nonsense? Oh, shit, you're right. Her. Yes, it was that. It was him basically turning her talent from the bonfire earlier, quote unquote, against her. But then he tries to claim her uh, super sternal, hold on, super sternal notch. I wrote down what Maddox said. <laughs> That's the hollow beneath the throat. I have just, I, when he like said, like that part of the scene, I was like, this is like, I was like, you sound like a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. So it's, it's fine. It's just the, his role in. I don't like intense in... Omashi. <laughs> Playful Omashi is fine. Intense Omashi, I don't like it all. Yeah. It's a little bird of prey. Yeah. But I mean, like, again, that fits with this personality and like the intensity of their relationships. You know? Oh, for sure. For sure. We also get in the scene with them in the marketplace. Um, so before the shopping scene, though, um, we do get to see progressively drunker and sadder Colin Firth as Jeffrey in his car. 
And this one broke my heart as he is tearing hearts into paper for their the first anniversary it's gift. Their paper anniversary. And he's just sitting in the car outside the hotel at night, uh, sort of alone. Like, you want to know? I mean, you know what? This is why you shouldn't surprise people with stuff. <laughs> this is why surprises are bad. I agree with this wholeheartedly. Do not surprise me with shit. <laughs> Unless it's like a gift that. I knew you were coming to give me. <laughs> I don't need to know what it is. I just need to know what's happening. I, I like non-surprises surprises. Um, under, right under my this can only end poorly note, I have poor Colin Firth. He is too sweet to be dealing with this shit. He needs to go find himself somebody who's going to love him as much as he loves her. You know what? Before worrying about loving her, he needs to learn to love himself. Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. <laughs> I feel like a very small percentage of listeners will get that reference, but that's totally fine. <laughs> um, I now have a vision of a listener in their car and you saying, can I get an amen in there? And them just going, amen. And I love that. And I hope somebody did that. It would make my day. Um, we have the scene in the market mm-hmm. and there are a couple of lines here that I wrote down because I really liked them. Uh, the first is when Almashi says, uh, Maddox knows, I think. He keeps talking about Anna Karenina. I think it's his idea of a man-to-man chat. That cracked which me I up. Which I thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> and then we also have the parallel of the yes, absolutely, where uh, you once again have the yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, Catherine just going, oh, no. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It just, it, you can see the plane begin its like slow descent we into all the ground. This is coming. Yeah. And it's, it's so, because of like the nature of their characters and everything, it's like, I can't, I can't really be sad for them because it's kind of like, you guys are both doing something wrong that you know you shouldn't be doing. But there is like a tragic element to it because we saw them try and fight it, but not be able to. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's a complicated situation. I have complicated feelings, but I know that whatever happens, it's not going to be good. Yeah, I just. Uh... Anyway. <laughs> so let's talk about something happy. Um, Back to Hannah. And Hannah is great, though. I will say, like, when we get to this point we do rapidly move into more of Caravaggio's like reveals about the past so i it's it gets a little bit muddy there but i do want to talk about kip and her delightful romance <laughs> let's talk about this because it is very much in contrast to what we see with Almashi and Catherine mhm and so i think the thing that really got me is when it was very clear that almost she was in on this plan to ask her to let him have some alone time in the evening. And the reveal of the little snail shell oil lamp situation yeah. on the floor. When we'd seen some cute interactions with them, there's the bit where she brings him the olive oil for his hair. Mm-hmm. But I was like, that man has beautiful, luscious locks. He 100% knows how to condition them. Oh, huh? yeah. And you made some comments about how it's a pain to wash. And I'm like, well, he's managing real well. I don't know what you were doing, Hannah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, 
tips chopping it off. Hair care advice, Hannah. <laughs> but it it was so romantic because it leads her out into the courtyard and then into you know where he's staying in the barn? Question mark. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't understand the, the layout of this monastery, but sure. But I the contrast between. Kip and Hannah and Catherine and Almashi. I think you said it right there. There is an element of romance with Kip and Hannah that there is not with Almashi and Catherine. And granted, well, I was about to say Kip and Hannah's dynamic is less complicated, but not necessarily. It's just complicated in different ways. Yeah, I think it's it's very clear that in Catherine and Almashi's relationship, there is some fundamental ways that they view the world that differ well also there's just jeffrey's in the way (laughs) jeffrey's also i think the major sticking point ian is not the fundamental differences in their personalities i think it's jeffrey i mean i think that's the big sticking point yeah jeffrey in a yellow airplane yeah i mm, eh, but do you really think that outside of that setting and outside of those specific circumstances they would have been like in it for the long haul i'm not convinced no i am also not convinced but i think it would have then eventually become their choice to end things instead of not their choice to end things yeah like i i (laughs) yeah yeah, i think i think at this moment in time in the story we're seeing i think that's the biggest obstacle for them with hannah and kip the obstacle is more like one it's wartime so eventually they'll likely go separate places like they they will potentially lose each other also like you know people could die we've seen we've seen hannah lose two people already and hannah's also just emotional feeling of i'm cursed yeah but she does give in a little bit and they have this i I, initially i was like oh this is gonna be gratuitous and then i'm like no i loved every moment of this beautifully shot scene of hannah delighting in seeing all of these frescoes up close and kip has made it all happen like he has hoisted her into the air looking (laughs) at historic italian frescoes yeah it's it's like the two of them are just having fun yeah it's so sweet it's just like complete like fun like unencumbered fun um like seeing kind of him having done this really nice thing for Hannah, especially because we've just watched Hannah do nice things for other people. It's nice to watch somebody do that for her. The joy that Juliet Binoche is able to bring to the scene. Like I'm, I was like beaming from ear to ear that entire time. It, it's, ugh. and the final exchange they have about like finding one another and his, his, I do want to be found. is just like such a quietly, profound they're incredibly sweet and i love them and um there's a moment should we go ahead and talk about yeah the bomb i this is this is the moment so i'd already i'd already gotten out of africa i'd already become invested this was the moment where i was like this movie fucking got me um the bomb that kip has to go disarm and there's the whole thing where hannah's like but I'm cursed. Everyone I love dies. And he's like, this is my job. This is what I do. It's fine. Everything will be okay. He's diffusing this bomb. That's like in this place under this bridge. 
we see the American trucks and like tanks rolling in over the bridge. It's shaking the bridge. It's shaking the bomb. You get you get the shaking in the water, a la Jurassic Park in the cup. Like it. Ah. I kept having to look away. I was watching it through my fingers. I was like, if Kip fucking dies, I'm turning this movie off. And at this point in the episode, Ian can just cover the fucking thing himself. I was like hardcore ready to commit to like, I will turn this movie off and not watch it. Like I, I couldn't handle it. And that's when I was like, fuck, this movie got me. Yeah. Yeah. It would, oh, oh, ah, it's, mm. and so they're ratcheting up kind of the overall ambiance of tension. But then you see Kip starting to get rattled himself. He drops his tool in the mud that he can't find for a minute. You can see his other soldier friend who I think is, does he have a name? I don't know. Yes, he does, but I forgot it. But it's the guy who went and grabbed Hannah before she stepped on the mine. I think it's Hardy. I think it's Hardy. Hardy. Yes. Thank you. You see Hardy like panicking, like, not not really panicking, but like you see the panic. And that close up on that wire as he cuts it to and just the silence and the sound just going out with a whimper like, oh, my God. I had to pause the movie and just like take a couple breaths and be like, it's fine. Everything's going to be OK. Yeah. I mean, that was the big, big test, right? Like is her curse going to hold? But the way that they swing immediately to jubilation because the Germans surrendered was just this uh, huge emotional, like roller coaster. Call me captain obvious there, but like it, it amplified both ends of that. And I think it was a masterfully placed or juxtaposed like set of occurrences. Yeah, for sure. Although it's not like the end of kind of some friction in their relationship where you have the celebration in the square where the one guy from that unit climbs on a statue mm-hmm. uh, that was wired for a bomb. And we see Kip feeling a lot of guilt over that one because like he lost someone he knew, but two also like his job is to defuse the bombs and he wasn't there. He was at the monastery with Hannah and Almashi and hanging out with them and there's kind of, it's a heartbreaking moment where like Hannah's pounding on the barn door and is like, please talk to me, please talk to me. But also at the same time, I wanted to be like, also let the man grieve, like give him a little space, Hannah. I know you're panicking because everyone you love has died and now you're afraid you're losing another person you loved in a different way, but like let the man breathe. Oh yeah. But it is a great shot where you have, you can hear her pounding on the door and you have Kip sitting on the, on the bed, just kind of staring into space. Well, and the thing that, like, I'm not sure how much on purpose this is, but, like, Caravaggio got me thinking, like, in that Baroque, like, high contrast style painting, and that was, like, a full-on painting. Yes, exactly. I wasn't going to whip out that word, but chiaroscuro. I did it for Um, you. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But it, it... one, I think, places their relationship really well because, again, the date in the the church was very much in a similar visual style as that. But also, uh, just an arresting shot for me. I I almost had to pause there, but I got chills. It's oh, with his hair completely undone, like oh. That is one of the like frames from the film that will stay in my mind. Yeah, but don't worry, guys. Don't worry. They work through it. It's okay. 
They do. Because unlike Amish and Catherine, they can probably discuss their feelings. <laughs> they use they their words. They can handle adversity. <laughs> <laughs> so I think as part of that set of scenes, we do kind of, as I mentioned, get some reveals about Caravaggio's past and what happened to him. So if we jump back to those sets of events, it is revealed that there was a spy in the British embassy in Cairo and Caravaggio has been swept up in this German invasion. Yeah. And Caravaggio worked as a spy for the British. He is captured. He is tortured. That's how he loses sums. I hated that scene. Well, and the scene leading up to it, because again, we we are seeing now in multiple movies, the list makers. Like <sighs> The part that gets me in that scene is when the guy with the typewriter closes the typewriter. Oh, yeah. That's when you know shit's going down. And that's, I mean, even after the typewriter guy mentions the Geneva Convention. Ugh. Yeah. And they go get that poor nurse. Um has to like stand there, be there on standby. Like, well, is the one that does it? I thought, like, is she the one who did it? Because I looked away. <laughs> pretty sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. She was. Um, no, that's so much worse. Like it was already so bad. But not willingly, and you could tell. I know. She, I know it wasn't will. Obviously, it wasn't willingly. Ian, that's why it's even worse. I mean, she's not Nurse Somehow Ratchet. Somehow it got worse. Um, Somehow it got worse. Well, yeah, because ah. what Major Muller, I think, is the name of that character. I don't, is let's, let's continue. I don't want to talk too. I don't want to talk too much about it. It's a really gross scene. But the implication is that there was a spy. They had pictures like proving that Caravaggio was like meeting all these people at the embassy and playing clothes, and is like a spy. And the implication is that like the Germans had maps and people who told them like how to get into Cairo. Um, And the assumption for Caravaggio, and at this point we're assuming others, is that it was Almashi. Mm -hmm. Which I have a note that I'm like, did Almashi really betray them? I'm like, did he really do it? Or was he like trying to get, because I thought, because we've already seen him be like intense and obsessive. And I was like, did he do this as a way to get Jeffrey out of the picture? Like I wouldn't have put it past him, which I think says a lot about Fiennes' performance is that I'm not convinced either way. At Mm -hmm. that point when that is, introduced i'm like i don't know maybe he did i'm just gonna make you change your mind on fines oh no i remember when i said when i started to get uh, out of africa at the like yeah yeah no like at that yeah, point yeah, i was yeah. like great um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so we know for sure at this point that jeffrey knows and so while they are striking the base do we camp know for sure we do he saw her come back but I didn't know if he necessarily knew that it was Almashi. I think he knew. I think I think he definitely gets there. I think he might realize it at the New Year's scene. Oh God! I just skipped over like a huge important like when they break up. Holy shit! How yeah. did I miss that? So I thought the way <laughs> I interpreted this, and I could be wrong, is that. Jeffrey knows she's having an affair when he sees her come back from the hotel, but he doesn't know who because he clearly didn't follow her to wherever she went. So my thought was that this party is where it really kind of clicks because almost she's losing it. He sees the writing on the wall. The war is coming, which again, he's a pretty narcissistic, selfish guy. Like his concern isn't war. His concern is very clearly that this means that Catherine's going back to England. So they're going to be separated. 
So uh, he is drunk off his ass. He is being belligerent. I'm with Maddox in this moment when Maddox tells him to pull himself together. And I am like, thank you, Maddox. Also, maybe you should have been a little bit more direct than just referencing Anna Karenina <laughs> in your conversations with your friend and your man-to-man chats. But okay. I mean, don't put this on Maddox. He is not the one committing adultery. It's not Maddox's fault. No, no, no. It's not Maddox's fault. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry, Maddox. My apologies. I also need to pull myself together, clearly. <laughs> but I think this is the scene where I think Jeffrey really realizes. Um, and we have a very drunk Almashi, like, being, like, belligerent to everybody. Yeah. But also being, like, mad that Catherine danced with somebody else. And the way she leaves that scene and the way we see her in that shot. Oh, Talking about how it's like, you you think you're the only one that feels things. Yeah, because he's like, how could you be dancing with someone else and like laughing and like, we're not going to be together with this war. And she's like, you're not the only one who feels things. And also, I want to be like, Almashi, what was that thing you said about like hating ownership? ownership? And then you're over here being crazy possessive. I am glad that it took a different turn because I thought it was going to go like a super toxic male incel like route of things of like, I mean, I but think I'm- it's. It kind of got there. Um, but also, like, Amashi, if you wanted to dance with her, like, just... Ask. You could ask to dance with her. He just wants company in his misery. He's not happy. He's got a lot of feelings, and he just needs to deal with them in a healthy way. Nobody is going to be able to hear the massive eye roll I just did when you said he's got a lot of feelings. <laughs> He has a lot of feelings. He's not the only one with a lot of feelings, though, as Catherine said, but he's got a lot of feelings. Pull yourself together, man. So now we're striking the camp. Uh, He's still stuck on the super sternal notch thing. Uh, It's fine. Don't worry about it. We get this, like, the way that almost she tells it in the moment, he's talking about how Jeffrey is, like, a bit of a, a wild child when it comes to flying the plane. So, like, didn't suspect a thing he was coming in hot it's normal i will say at the beginning of these flashbacks i don't think we have almashi voiceover but it does transition at this point to him telling the story to caravaggio and you have hannah listening yeah and such a really nice narrative touch is when caravaggio asks did you kill them and he's like i might have i think so yeah And I will tell you right now, I think he did. And I will support my thesis shortly. I don't blame, I don't think he killed Jeffrey in the way he says where he's like, uh, because the implication of that is like, I participated in this affair. So like, yes, I killed them. Jeffrey uh, crashes the plane. It's implied purposefully um, to assume, assumingly kill himself, Catherine and Almashi. He succeeds in one of three. Himself. Um, so Jeffrey dies in the crash. Catherine has broken ankle, wrist, potentially ribs, um, but Almashi is able to get her out of the plane. Oh, and the, by the way, that's the decision about Jeffrey that we really don't like. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a fan of that. I was very in Jeffrey's corner until that. But it's okay. It well, it's not okay. It, it's okay. <laughs> it. I'm like, never mind. It. It, it 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 is. I think it made narrative sense. I'll leave it at that. Where I knew I had been completely out of Africa was when he is walking with her to the cave and bawling, and I was bawling, and it just, like, 
all the emotions. And he leaves her in the cave while he's going to go for help. Yeah, he leaves her with the light and he opens a fire and he opens a bunch of food for her and he leaves her his book slash journal. So he walks through the desert. He gets to this British camp and is a raving fucking lunatic. Here's where he killed Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I shouldn't laugh, but it's true. So he goes in there. He's coming in hot. The man has a lot of emotions and he's feeling every single one of them in this moment. Maggie, it's the desert. It's very hot there. He's coming in hot in many ways. (laughs) Emotionally, physically, mentally. Um, he, of course, like, honest, like the sense of urgency. Yes. Like we understand. And he's talking to this British person being like in the middle of a war, remember? And is like, I need help. There's been an accident. He, I can't remember if he drops the Clifton's names or not. I don't think he does because that I think was a huge mistake. The guy is like, okay, calm down. Like I, what's your name? Do you have identification? Like, and Almashi is like, no, this is absurd. I'm Almashi. I'm a member of this British Geographical Society. You have to help me. My wife is stranded in the desert and is going insane at this guy, which like... You must give me that car. I'll pay you for it. But with what money, dude? Which like you understand his sense of urgency. Yes, is a bad thing. But here's the thing. If Almashi could just check himself for a second... And actually was as intelligent as he likes to pretend he is. Panicking in this situation will help no one. In like all likelihood, it will kill Catherine, which it does. Yes, it sucks. And the bureaucracy of the moment sucks. But if Almashi goes in and is like, hey, there was a plane crash. Jeffrey Clifton his wife died. His wife survived it. She's at this location in this cave. Like we need to get people out there to help. If he gives people names that they can call and like confirm who he is, confirm who the Cliftons are, confirm his story, then he can get people to go with him out and save Catherine. Instead, he gets arrested and gets put on a train going, I'm going to assume the opposite direction because why not? Irony. (laughs) is far away from her, has to escape the fucking train, then find another set of people, the Germans this time, because the British are now like, well, that's a spy right there. It's gotta be that raving lunatic who attacked a bunch of people. So then he has to sell the maps from the industry to the Germans in exchange for gasoline so he can get the plane that Maddox left him and fly to save Catherine. That was the least efficient way to try and save Catherine. Can, can I just uh, take take issue with uh, has to? Um, I'm sorry. You are not an island unto yourself, Amishi. If you've learned nothing, it's that. So I understand you're passionate, but like really the maps, the maps, the maps. Again, if he had handled the situation like an adult and just like handled things calmly, I think Catherine there I think there's a much higher chance that Catherine survived. So I think he did kill Catherine with his um idiocy. With his outburst non-composure. He killed many more with his selfishness. He did kill many more with his selfishness. Um no, I'm with you though. Like you don't have to sell the maps, but that's his solution to that issue. The issue he created of the British thinking he was a spy. But yeah, but anyway, that's my 
that's my argument of why he did kill Catherine is because he handled that so poorly that he wasted time. But again, I think it's super in keeping with the character that he wouldn't, he, he doesn't care if he has to give the maps to the Germans in order to get gasoline, because in his mind, he's like, well, the only thing, the only thing that matters to him in that moment is Catherine. Like he isn't thinking like, who's going to suffer if I hand these over, get your head out of your ass. Anyway, in the middle of all those scenes, we do check back in with Catherine in the cave. And this is like a fear that I didn't know that I had. And it was being, uh, Injured, unable to move in a cave without a light. I'll fucking crawl, man. I'll crawl. I don't. I I would have powered through in some way. I don't know. I'd figured out something. But, you know, but here's the thing. Never mind. I was about to say maybe she did try, but no, she was in the same position as uh, he left her. Um, If she tries, we don't see her. True. But she does write a very sweet, like, goodbye. And I'll wait for you. And I mean, I was sobbing. I was I was sobbing. as well. And when All the, tears. the light went out on her, literally and metaphorically, it's like, oh, oh, I would have freaked the fuck out when that light went out. I'm not gonna lie. You know what I bet was happening to Almashi in that time when that light was going out? I bet he was on a train in the opposite direction because he made poor choices. That is my thesis is that Almashi did, didn't kill Jeffrey, but did kill Catherine. But he's telling the story to Caravaggio, and we have the scene where Caravaggio uh, was he's saying, like, you know, I I was going to kill you. Like, my plan was to kill the person who turned over those maps because of what happened to me and what happened to so many others. Um, and he decides not to, which, like, I feel like is a catharsis for Caravaggio's character because yeah. he's been driven by hatred for so long and I think there's a real I think Caravaggio to some extent though more justified <laughs> had also a very tunnel vision kind of almashy like thing going on where it was like the only thing that matters is this without always realizing that other people around you also have motivations they both Caravaggio and Almashi are convinced that they are the main characters of their story <laughs> No, no, no. They're convinced that they're the main characters of the story. <laughs> like, it's one true. story and it's theirs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. But I think with Caravaggio in this moment, it's a little bit more justified. Like, I can understand wanting to seek vengeance against the person who, like, is the reason you were tortured. Full on, like, an Ego Montoya style. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> but Kill my father, prepare to die. But... The as we're wrapping up in modern day, um, oh well, wait, no, we do get a, a, a hearkening back to the plane, and like kind of lets us linger in that visual in its full effect, which I really appreciate it because now we fully understand it and we have the full context for it. So like, and it's so much sadder and more impactful. Like, Oh, I know. And while I do, I do stand by my statement that I think we should have started with uh, Hannah and then, but like it also like, yeah, I, I appreciate the parallels with the shot and the fact that like now we have the context for it. And, and honestly, it did make her death a little bit of a twist for me because initially I was like, oh, she died in the plane crash. 
Oh, I also, I guess I also thought that, but yeah, cause you, at the beginning you were like, is she, you assume that like she could be dead or she could just be really injured. And cause she's like, right. her eyes are closed and she's pale, but um, yeah, you also assume that she like died in the crash, but um, yeah. Now the ending of Amishi wrecked me completely. This is so, I, I, yeah. Oh my God. And also like here is uh Binoche gets her Oscar right here. I feel like this scene, I, she's been great throughout. I feel like this scene clinches it. Agreed. So she's giving him his morphine, Amashi, and he musters the strength to knock over the ampules of morphine and push four, five, one, uh, yeah, one by one to her with the obvious implication of I'm done. Well, there's the moment right before too, where she goes over to like check his breathing and he says, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But that, so like candidly hit me really hard. Cause we had to put down our dog earlier this month. So like it was, I fully understand that a, euthanizing a human and an animal are not the same thing. But for me personally, <laughs> The dog hit a lot harder, but anyway, that amplified that whole like you, you, thing for you've me. You had emotions that were yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's it's an incredibly well done scene, and, and it's, she reads Catherine's like final words to him as he. I just yeah, it gets you, and I think the movie like is so well done with the testament that like we're sitting over here crying about Almashi like hearing Catherine's final words to him, even though like we watched how destructive this affair was for both of them. Like he's not a great person. Like, you know, Catherine as charming as she was also not a great person. Cause you know, she participated in this too. You know, we know that he sold those maps and we saw or not sold them, but like bartered them. Yeah. And we know that it had horrible consequences because we see it with Caravaggio and like, like we're still like the ending feels so earned. Yeah. And it's like the, and like you still can like cry for the tragedy of all of it. Um, Yeah. I literally have a note that is why am I crying for a selfish, petulant man? And I'm like, it's, it's bigger than him. It's big. It's bigger than that. And it's also, and I think that's why the, Hannah Kip romance is so important because it provides like the parallel to that. So that like, there's, there is still like some goodness and stuff like that. Um, And just the way that we move so quickly into this forward looking, relentlessly hopeful transition of Hannah going to Florence where we know that Kip is stationed and I just, I, the way, the way that they filmed that and focused on like all of the, the bright, happy, naturey things that they're driving by. I don't know. That just like hammered at home, just fading into the sun. It, I, I, I don't know. I like, I, yeah. And I, the more I think about like, almost she as a character, you're like, why am I crying for this guy? Oh, but I am. oh yeah. Yeah. It's. His story is tragic, but it it's a larger tragedy and it is sad. And I think it it like earns that sadness from the audience, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it's kind of like the like we we saw how like passionate he and Catherine are for each other, and it just like the tragedy that you made all the wrong decisions and like couldn't work it out, yeah. and so instead, so many people got hurt. Exactly, but yet we layer on this like hope, and that elevates it for like further. So that that cinches it for me. Yeah, agreed. All right, shall we lists? Uh, dude, I haven't done this in so long, and I also I know. don't know where the fuck I'm gonna put this. Make sure you're looking at the right list this time. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> oh God. Okay, so after I finished watching it, I was like, "Yeah, this will probably be like solid middle of my list." Really enjoyed it, but the more we've talked about it, the more I think my appreciation for it has actually grown. Same. Um, so it is my new number 24. Um, it is right after Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment hit me really hard, um, especially because like I'm super tight with my mom and like the mother-daughter relationship in that was like good. And that that movie I think is impeccable in like its pacing and stuff like that. Um, but also a you know, a movie about very complicated relationships, which I think is interesting. Um, and then it would put it right above Lawrence of Arabia. You have Lawrence of Arabia at 25? I have it at 25. Because even though, so I don't want to watch it again. But the reason I have to have Lawrence of Arabia at 25 is because I do think about the movie a lot. And I think about how annoying I find Lawrence. But it is an example of a very long movie that has two very distinct arcs for its main character. And we also know that in an epic, I love a devolution. I think it's a, it's a good example of how you have an epic movie with a character that like actually undergoes meaningful change. So anyway, it's number 25. Okay. And I know it's not that high for you. Well, Lawrence isn't, but. Yes, Lawrence isn't. But anyway, so English Payson's new number 24. I feel good about that. So I am struggling so much to put this in a single spot. So I'm going to go like sort of off script right here and slot it in at number 17 for me. So English patient putting it after terms of endearment, but before ordinary people, I'm going to be completely honest though. There is a group of five movies here, six movies like Kramer versus Kramer bridge over the river Kwai ordinary people, Forrest Gump. All of them kind of live in the same area of my brain in terms of the themes they deal with, the emotions they deal with, the complicated people they deal with. Like, it's getting hard. Well, Forrest Gump, maybe less so. But I. Forrest Gump's your touch of hope. I mean, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I really enjoyed this movie. And I think for me, Terms edges it out because of its hyper focus on like this really small, I shouldn't say small relationship, but like it is so much more tightly focused on mother and daughter. And it's complicated and there are characters in their orbits, but like, it's it's a little it's got like a much tighter thesis. <laughs> You're not telling two parallel stories exactly. in terms of a 
could you also make the argument that the cinematography and editing was much better? Yes, you could, but I'm ignoring that for now. <laughs> Here's the thing too, though. I also, I cried three times with Terms of Endearment. I cried when I watched it. I cried when we recorded it and I cried when I edited it. I think that's the most I've cried <laughs> for a single movie. That's, I mean, yeah, I get it. No, that's, that's good. Like I, it's getting really hard. And I, I will say, I feel like almost, almost like my top 30 ish. I'm just like, they're all good. <laughs> yeah. I'd stand by that for me. And uh, like, again, with ordinary people, you could again, make that swap if you wanted to. It's like kind of a preferential thing. So like, are we going to talk about why we're traumatized or are we going to talk about how we're going to deal with trauma? Like, I... uh, Take your pick. Ordinary people, Mary Tyler Moore won't talk about why she's traumatized. That's the whole problem of that movie. But you take my point. Yeah, but yeah, I I get your point. Are we going to live through the the trauma or its aftermath? I'm sorry, I can't make a decision. I feel like kind of chicken shit right now. But like, I oh. So we're going to put it at 17. If we went the the next time we we reorder whatever that is, is I. Oh, who knows? But it's probably going to be in a roughly the same area. Yeah, no, I um, I feel like this was very pleasant, especially coming off of Braveheart, which was kind of our, our week one of the 90s so far. I mean, I'm I won't mince words in this episode. Fuck that movie. Um, <laughs> like it, it, it thinking back on it, it has gotten worse in my mind. So it's well, it's hard to compare, like comparing it to a movie that packed like a big emotional punch too like right after it you're kind of like eh. um but yeah that wraps up for the english patient join us next time when we do titanic oh i'm actually excited for that one i'm excited for this i like titanic i'm very excited for this i'm one. just curious how like past self i haven't watched it in a while exactly like so i am curious to see how much it holds up um but yeah i'm i'm excited about titanic i don't know does titanic get a lot of hate as a best picture winner or not I don't think so. I mean, it's James Cameron, so I think that, like, in some sense, he's fairly. I think some people well would consider of. it a not, or would, but would potentially consider it a not um, prestigious one. I feel like I feel like there was a time when it was like not popular to be a fan of Titanic, and then people have come back around. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think I was ever aware enough of pop culture, to, like when it would have been relevant for me to like say one way or the other. I also could be thinking of like one person one time, like said they hated Titanic and it should never have won and that like Goodwill Hunting should have won instead. And now I've just attributed that to multiple people, but. It's going to be another long one, but another entertaining one. I just remember it being on two VHS tapes, not just one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we had that one on VHS. Uh, we didn't, but if you went to Blockbuster and rented it, it was too. <laughs> oh, oh, Ian, don't reference Blockbuster. People won't know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, until then, you can find us on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, review. We love it when you guys do that. We love hearing from you. And uh, yeah, join us next time for Titanic. Thanks for listening.